Well, good morning, everybody. It's a privilege to uh, bring the Word here today. And uh, I made a copy of the Word in a kind of extra bold print so I wouldn't have to squint. Uh, so as you guys uh, open and follow along in your scriptures, I'll be using this uh, page here. But uh, I heard on the radio, uh, Chuck Swindoll, many of you know, is a pastor on the radio. And he had said that the church served two purposes or he was, maybe he said it this way, that, that uh, like a pastor would serve two purposes. One was to comfort the afflicted. And I think of even when I had a problem with my heart for a while, they didn't know what was going on. I remember the first time I was in church after that, and the music, uh, everything, it sounded different, and I felt comforted. And I think that's those in our church who are uh, afflicted, in a sense, or going through trials, we want to be a comfort as a church. And then the other thing kind of shocked me, he said, uh, was to afflict the comfortable. And I thought, wow, that seems kind of a, quite a role for pastors, to afflict the comfortable. But I think what happens when we open God's Word and we look at God's Word, sometimes uh, we're convicted. And so we have to re-examine our lives and look at our lives to see if we are really walking in a way that pleases the Lord. And so uh, if, if you feel, uh, in a sense, afflicted, uh, you can blame God because it's God's word. And uh, I want to uh, only bring God's word. And we know that scripture says that uh, the word is like a sword, sometimes cuts. And so, but uh, but the, the beauty of the Christian walk is that when we find that we are walking in a way maybe that's not pleasing to the Lord or in sin, we run to Jesus. We say run to the cross, but we really mean run to Jesus. And there we are able to be forgiven and have a fresh start. And so, uh, before we open with prayer, I want to ask a question, and I'm not going to give you the answer right away. I want you to think about this, because as I studied this, uh, in, in the text, uh, in John MacArthur's uh, study uh, Bible, he says, uh, the most valuable and glorious truth ever revealed. What, what is that? That's my question for you. What is the most valuable and glorious truth ever revealed? That's what he said about one verse that's in our text today. And so I want you to think about that for a few minutes, and we'll be uh, diving right into the Word here in a minute. So let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it has been uh, a joy already today to worship you and to sing your praise. And now we come to your Word, Lord. We hold your Word high. We recognize that your Word is... Uh, is for us, it speaks to us, it is uh, the definition of truth, and so we, uh, we hold everything else up to the Word, as a, uh, the Word is the standard, and so Lord, today as we look at your Word, we pray that your Spirit would apply it to each one who has a need today in their own unique way, Lord. I pray you would enable me to bring the truth clearly, and not to add anything or not to take anything away from what your word says today. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, our story, uh, the, by the way, the answer to that question is, uh, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Okay, Think about that. That is the most valuable and glorious truth. And I will be getting into that more, but, but I want this verse to ring in your ears this morning and throughout the day and maybe in the coming weeks. For the Son of Man came to seek 
and save the lost. That is uh, our uh, main verse, and that's right at the bottom in verse 10. But we're going to read the story. The beautiful thing is Zacchaeus is the example of that, of Jesus targeting an individual and basically going after him and saving him. And so uh, we have uh, that example in the story of Zacchaeus today. And so if you have your Bibles open to Luke 19, I'm going to read it straight through, and then I'm going to kind of go verse by verse and share some thoughts as we go, and then I'll try to spend a little extra time on verse 10 uh, toward the end of the message today. Verse 19, or uh, chapter 19 of uh, verse 1, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So if you look in your bulletin, I had uh, something for you to put some notes on if you like. And I have three points to the message today. The sinner, the Savior, and the salvation. So if you like, you may uh, take some notes as we go. And uh, so I want to start out, as I said, kind of going through verse by verse. So if you follow along in your Bibles, you'll see if I'm indeed pulling what I'm saying out of the Scripture, which is my intent. And so the very first line, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, when we hear that phrase, passing through, it almost sounds as if he had no intention of stopping. But I'm telling you, and the message will bring this out clearly, he had a plan. In fact, he not only had a plan uh, to stop, uh, but he had a plan to spend the night. Uh, in Jericho with Zacchaeus, and we'll see that as we go through. And another, I think the Phillips translation said that he was moving through, and that's another way of saying passing through, moving through. Uh, anyways, number verse 2 there, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And what was interesting in studying this, his, meant, his name meant pure or righteous, but I think it's clear from the story that he was anything but pure or righteous, but that's what his name meant. And he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And so here we get into um, the sinner, as we said, is the first point. And so we're talking about Zacchaeus. He's the sinner. And just to explain a little bit about, um, I think this is the only place in the Bible that mentions chief tax collector. So there's quite a few references to tax collector, but not chief tax collector. And from studying this, my understanding is, is that there were a number of tax collectors under him. And so he was, in a sense, getting a percentage from them. And uh, this place in Jericho, I learned, was different 
than um, like we always think of the story about the walls tumbling down of Jericho. Well, this was a different place. This was like a paradise. Um, I read a, a story about exactly explaining there were palm trees. Uh, there were, uh, they called them the Elisha Springs aqueducts. It was a 12-mile wide strip of land, but it was the prime area for collecting taxes. And so this is where uh, Zacchaeus was well set up to uh, make lots of money. And tax collectors were hated um, because they often uh, took more than they were told uh, to collect. And they collected taxes on many different things, on people, poll tax they called it, um, on fruits and vegetables and grain. And, and so they had a, a myriad of ways of making money. And so um, they, they were hated uh, because they were taking more, I think, than they were supposed to. But one thing that I didn't know that I learned that they were also barred from the synagogue because they were thought to be unclean. And um, I th if you think of that, it's almost like if somebody was barred from being able to come to church, like to be in church here. And so um, as the, other, the second thing we learned about uh, Zacchaeus uh, was that he was rich. And um, we, right away, my mind went to the text in Mark uh, 10:25 that said, "It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven." Now think about that. There, there's no way that camel's going through the eye of the needle, right? It's just. And the disciples at that time said, "Well, they were astonished because they said, "Well, that's it's impossible." And then uh, Jesus replied at that time, uh, "With man, it is impossible." But with God, it is possible. But I think just a caution there for us is that, you know, a lot of society wants to uh, talk about the lottery, get rich. And, but I think that should damper our enthusiasm a little bit for getting rich just because there's a lot of temptations and pitfalls, I think, that come with wealth. And so that's another lesson we can learn. And so uh, <clears throat> we'll continue on in verse 3. Uh, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Um, and so this is a, a, a beautiful uh, thing to think about, this idea of seeking. And in our text today, uh, we, we hear that for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. But it is true that uh, people like us do seek God. And, and we'll see as we go through this, but I believe that God puts, uh, you might say, like a secret desire in our hearts to... Uh, to go after him. And sometimes uh, new believers, you know, don't understand all of this, but uh, we'll see this more in the story that uh, it is, it, it begins with God, and uh, God uh, makes it happen, in a sense. Uh, we, we take some steps forward, and God is involved in that. And so uh, we read in, uh, in the second part of verse 3, uh, so he was uh, seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And if you've ever been in a large crowd, and uh, most of us aren't tall like Pastor and the wife and Jenny there, but uh, you know it's hard sometimes to see what's going on in a crowd. You've got to get between the shoulders of people. And so this was his situation. He was short, basically. And so he runs on ahead. We read uh, in verse 4, he ran, he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And just think about, you know, usually when we think of uh, people running 
climbing trees, we think of kids, right? Because when I was a kid, I did that. And so we usually don't think of rich people. And even in this day, it was kind of undignified for someone to, uh, to run and climb a tree. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's already shows, I think, uh, that Zacchaeus' uh, seeking and desire was more than just curiosity. And I think that happens sometimes in our day where people just are a little bit curious. But, but we'll see as we go into our text that with Zacchaeus, there was more involved than just a, just a curiosity to see Jesus. And so um, <clears throat> we're uh, moving along through our text here. Uh, and this is, this is uh, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So the first thing you have to kind of picture, you know, Jesus walking and he comes to the tree, he looks up, and he sees Zacchaeus. Now, how did he know his name? We're not told. But he calls him by his name. Think of uh, Zacchaeus. Must have been shocked uh, that this person, this famous prophet that he wanted to see, uh, would actually know his name and call him by name. And not only that, he instructs him uh, to hurry and come down. And then he says, for I must stay at your house today. And this is interesting. The word must in the ESV, I think, makes it clear um, that it's, it's a must because of his salvation is in view. And uh, some of the commentaries, they call that divine necessity. Okay? So, but I look at it as in a simpler way to say it is that his salvation was, in a sense, at stake because Jesus uh, was going to go to his house and there he would indeed, we'll find later in our text, he becomes a believer. And so uh, we read, he, uh, Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. And so we read in verse 6, he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And here, here we see more signs that uh, Zacchaeus has more than just a, 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 a passing interest or a mere curiosity, okay? Uh, he, he follows the instructions, he hurries and comes down, and he receives him joyfully. And I think um, as uh, our journey to the Lord, uh, sometimes we have different stories, but I think when you see a person uh, receiving uh, the Lord joyfully, as it were, if you were to share the gospel, that's a sign that uh, definitely God is working there, and that's a beautiful sign. And so in verse 7, we read, uh, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, this is uh, what I called in my notes here the crowd's reaction. And what I was struck by, it said uh, they all grumbled. And you, you have to picture them walking through this beautiful city, this huge crowd. And then when this takes place, Zacchaeus hurries and comes down, receives Jesus joyfully. The whole crowd, it says all, and I think that the, the, the challenge for us as Christians is um, there, there may have been some of his disciples that grumbled. Um, I think that all words are general words, so it doesn't mean every single one, but it, it's possible. And so I, I put that out there because as Christians, we don't want to be in this camp, right? We don't want to be grumbling when somebody is about to uh, be saved. And so I think this is uh, just for something to ha- for us to have on our radar and um, when I studied this, I learned, uh, well, in the, fall, in the next verse we read, uh, well, in that, excuse me, in verse 7, it says, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
when I studied this, that verb translated gone to be the guest means to loosen one's clothing in preparation uh, for staying overnight. And I guess when I, I knew this children's story from a child, and I always thought, well, maybe he had like a quick lunch with him or something, you know. But I didn't think about, you know, that he was actually spending the night there. And I think that's, that's uh, significant and, uh, because uh, of the people's reaction. Uh, because if you think about it, if this man was not allowed to come in the synagogue because he was considered unclean, and that Jesus would uh, go to his home and spend the night, I mean, what a shock. And Jesus often kind of turned things upside down in people's thinking. And, um, but I think it's, it's a beautiful thought, and I, one of the things I read was, was it, was it more amazing that he would spend the, spend the night in his home, or was it more amazing that he would eventually enter his heart? Think about that. What a beautiful thought that Jesus is not just willing to, to come into our home uh, if, as we, even when we were dead in our sins or uh, basically um, not saved, but he, he wants to come into our heart. And that's a beautiful thought as well. And so um, part of the, the question that comes to us as believers is how do we view the lost? And so I had to think about, you know, um, we don't, we, none of us like the IRS, but we don't quite have that same scenario where they're collecting taxes quite like that, I think, in that day. So, so who are the outcasts in our society today? Or who would we say... Uh, is, is kind of when we say the word sinner, you know. And, and it's, it's amazing to me because pastors said it from the pulpit and we all say, I'm a sinner. But sometimes in the Christian mind, we have a, a, a rating system and we say, that person is a sinner. And that is not for the believer to have that kind of mindset. We know clear from Scripture that there's not a rating system on sins. And so... I thought about uh, when I used to go visit at the jail, they had uh, child molesters, and they were not put in with the general jail population because even the people at the jail had um, kind of an idea that this was the worst, and so they would basically be beat up. And so on the third floor in the county jail is where I'm, it may have changed, but at that time, that's where the child molesters were. And uh, by God's grace, I went there. And I talked to him because anybody who is interested in the gospel, who's seeking, who is willing to have somebody come and share their story, should be uh, spoken to with the gospel. And I, I don't know, you know, you may think of other, peop other classes of people, homosexuals, uh, homeless people. I mean, uh, we ought not in, in our minds as a Christian have uh, categories of people who we will not share the gospel with. And so that's one thing that I wanted to uh, bring out. And in Ephesians 2, and this is another good reminder for all of us, I think, in this area. In Ephesians 2, uh, and I wrote down here, uh, remember where you came from, okay? Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in, in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. And later in chapter 2 it says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. And so I think that if we remember where we came from, it should help us to not be uh, judgmental or to have certain parts of society 
that we'd say, uh, we won't go to them, we won't talk to them. And so the last point I have is the third point on your uh, inserts there is the salvation. And the salvation is uh, about Zacchaeus, and uh, it's his salvation. But as we like to say around here, and I think it fits well that it's, um, it's God's story what he did with Zacchaeus, in a, in a sense, because sometimes when we give our testimonies, we say, well, this is my story. But really, in, in when you really think about it, it's God's story, what he did in John's life or in Zacchaeus's life. And so I wrote down here, Luke does not describe the Lord's presentation of the gospel to Zacchaeus or his response, but the salvation of the man is evident from the transformation of his life which revealed itself in that part of his life where his sin was most openly manifested. So we'll see that here in the next uh, verse or two, that um, the evidence of his salvation. And, uh, but it, when you look at your text now, um, so we're on verse 8. And so before verse 8, you have to think about something's taken place, right? So Jesus has went to Zacchaeus' home, spent the night, I'm sure, you know, we'd all love to know what kind of what the conversation was, exactly how it took place, but but we don't uh this account is only given in the Gospel of Luke and we don't have any more details. But what we do have is in verse 8. So if you follow along and read with me, uh, and Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, "Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold." And uh, I, assured, I was assured by the commentary you're not, where I'm not going to ask you to give half your goods to the poor because, you know, sometimes we read that and think, well, maybe I... But I think there's an important lesson to be learned here, a um, couple things. One is worldly possessions should not be held on so tightly. If you remember the rich young ruler who came previously in Luke, uh, when Jesus told him to sell all his possessions, he walked away sorrowful, Right? because he couldn't, he couldn't let go of his possessions. And so I think there's, a, there's something for us to be learned there to not hold on to our possessions so tightly. But if you think about it, if I don't know uh, how much wealth he had, but he gave 50%, right, to the poor. And then he gives uh, four times for, for, for anyone who he's defrauded. Okay, So think about, he, he might have shrunk down to 10%, 20%, I don't know. But it's pretty, it's significant that what he was willing to do, and I think that's significant because it shows his faith was real. And so that's another thing, and I'll go over some things that we learned today at the end, but that's another thing we learn is that um, it's, it's right that our salvation should be evident by our lives. Uh, so for an example of would be me is where I used to uh, have a problem with drinking when I was a young person. And when I uh, got right with the Lord, came to know the Lord, um, I quit drinking. And I haven't had a drink in like 30 years. And, and it's by God's grace, but that, that's an evidence that God did something. And so I think that's right to note that. Um, so uh, one other thing that was interesting, and one of the commentaries said that he went from like a wolf, you know, he was stealing from people, to like a sheep, but, but not just a sheep. He went to, to a farther degree. He was like a shepherd, right? 
because he was caring for the poor. And what a beautiful thing that he, and, and scripture, there's a scripture that says, uh, steal no longer, but, uh, you know, to help and give others. And so you see, that's what scripture calls us to, not just to stop stealing, but to help others. And um, so that's a beautiful thought in uh, how, that, uh, how that worked in his life that uh, he became. And I think another important lesson for us to learn from this is that, uh, and Luke mentions this in his gospel more than anybody else about the poor. And so I think that's something we want to walk away from here today is that uh, God is very concerned about poor people. And so it's, it's on us as Christians to find ways uh, to minister to poor people. And, uh, and so I think that we don't want to uh, miss that, that, uh, that important part of the Christian life is to uh, care for uh, the poor. And so uh, next verse is verse 9. Uh, Jesus confirms the reality of uh, Zacchaeus' salvation and we read, uh, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And the interesting thing to note here is that um, um, he was a son of Abraham uh, because he was a descendant. But that doesn't mean he was saved or that he was of the faith of Abraham. And in Galatians 3, 7 we read, uh, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's an important part. Uh, and um, God looks at the heart for those who have faith in him, who trust themselves to Jesus' work on the cross for their salvation. And so there again we learn, you know, it's not because just because my parents were Christians that I could say in, in that sense that, oh, I'm probably okay because my parents are Christians. They raised me as Christians. no. I have to have faith in Jesus' work, what he did on the cross for me personally. And so here we come to this last verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, the most valuable and glorious truth ever revealed. Think about what that means, and we'll get into that a little bit. What does that mean? First of all, I'll say the Son of Man was Jesus he referred to himself. He was speaking in the third person. If you look at your Bibles, he says uh, in the previous verse, today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. Then he says himself, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So he was speaking of himself, and this was a messianic title that it was his most common way when he was talking about himself that he referred to himself as the son of man. And... Uh, <clears throat> So this describes uh, his humanity, both, and his deity. And uh, I would say 100% God, 100% man. And so in the last part of our uh, verse 10 here, we have uh, uh, two verbs uh, that are used to express the purpose for which Jesus came into the world, um, seeking and saving. And so seeking, I think sometimes you could say is kind of like searching, um, and so I thought of an example, you know, if you've ever lost your keys or your wallet, you know, you've basically turned the house upside down, you look in the car, you're looking, searching, and trying to find it, right? And you think about where you've been, and so this is kind of uh, this idea of searching, but there's, there's, if you turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke 15, I'd like to quickly read just a couple uh, parables, 
in Luke 15, starting in verse 1. This is, you guys know this, I'm sure. This is the parable of uh, the lost sheep and then the parable of the lost coin. And remember, we're uh, talking about Jesus uh, calling, uh, talking about his own uh, seeking. And so in verse uh, chapter 15 of Luke, I'll read uh, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then what's interesting, the next verse, uh, or in verse 4 actually, is a question. Uh, he asks a question, and, and Jesus is repeer, uh, appealing to whatever reasonableness or, or logic the Pharisees might have left in their minds. So he, he starts, he says he, uh, in verse 4, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then we'll read the next uh, short parable on the lost coin. Or what woman, uh, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so we see this is a picture of our God. Okay, This is a picture of Jesus. And if you just take a moment to think, uh, who of us would be here if he wasn't this type of seeking God? I, I could tell you I wouldn't be here. In fact, I tried to run away from him and, and um, pursued a worldly lifestyle. But I know he's a seeking God because I stand here today. And so all of us have to look at our own lives and say, what a beautiful and just marvel that we have this uh, kind of a God who seeks us. Otherwise, none of us would be saved. And so the next point I wanted to make, the next verb was save, okay? So when you think of, <clears throat> we had, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So, save from what? That's when you study Scripture, you're supposed to ask questions. And so it's always good to ask questions. Uh, I, I found a definition of save, rescue from harm and deliver from danger. Okay? So, so what's the danger? What's the harm that's waiting that we need a seeking Savior. And <clears throat> I once heard a message uh, from uh, this uh, evangelist, Louise Plow, probably many of you heard of him, and uh, he gave a message on uh, how do you uh, get a broken heart for lost people. And I only remember one point that he said, but I think it's a very valuable point. And he says, uh, he, he said to us, and this was 20-some years ago maybe that I heard this message, he said, read what the Bible says about hell and believe it. And I was kind of shocked, but I think that 
it's not easy to talk about hell, but we have to realize, we have to, tell, we have to uh, show people what the danger is. And so there is a real danger. There's an eternity at stake. And so and, uh, Jesus spoke about hell quite often. And I have one text here, Matthew 8, 12, where Jesus said, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? Um, none of us want to see uh, loved ones crying uh, and in pain or suffering. And so when you think about that, that's enough for us to know it's a place we don't want to go. And the and, and reason it's important is because it's not only for us, but it's for those around us. We don't want others whom we love, our neighbors and other people who we care about, to uh, also be lost, right, and to go to that place. And so I wrote a definition of lost would mean, uh, means to be ruined or destroyed. If someone uh, dies uh, without the Lord, they are indeed lost. They are going to hell. And so that's the reality of what we live, uh, how, of the world we live in. And that's the reality of what Scripture tells us. And as we started out by saying, it's all about God's Word. And if, if it's in here, we have to believe it. And we, uh, we just take it for what it says and, and apply it to our lives. So God seeks the lost uh, because there is no one that seeks God, it says in the Bible. And some of us might say, well, when I first started following the Lord, I was seeking Him. But I'm just saying, uh, Romans in 3, Chapter 3, 11, and 12, it says, None is righteous, no one seeks God, and no one does good. And this means that no human being on his own seeks for God or does any good that merits salvation. So I think this is a, a something that we need to praise God for, that he puts a desire in our hearts to seek him. And we know that um, this is how it starts for every believer, that God puts a desire in us because Scripture clearly tell us, tells us without God, uh, no one uh, would come to him. So Jesus came <clears throat> into the world to rescue doomed sinners. Because uh, he is a saving God, unless God graciously calls um, them, they will not come. Unless God seeks no reconciliation, no salvation, no forgiveness, no hope of heaven. And so, just the, closing out the message, I have kind of a two, um, uh, this is in the response area. And any time we uh, look at God's truth, we have to ask, in a sense, uh, therefore, or now what, you might say. And, and so we always, when we hear God's truth, we have to apply it. And so this is uh, what I'm attempting to do in the last part for us to consider these things. And we've talked about some of them already. And so for the unsaved person, uh, if you are here today looking for Jesus, you have come to the right place. And um, Matthew eleven twenty eight says, uh, and this is Jesus' invitation, okay, to anyone who has the burden. I remember when I was uh, in sin, I had a heavy burden because I knew I had a, a load of guilt. And Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in John, 1 John 1, 9, we read, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us from sins, from uh, 
cleanse us from our sin and all unrighteousness. And so I think that uh, this is the call for anyone who might be unsaved or is unsure. And if someone feels that today, um, I'm happy to talk with you afterwards or the pastor as well. And then for the rest of us who are believers, I would say I have five quick points just to uh, read to you. And if you want to jot these down, you can. Um, so the first point I wrote down is worship and praise Jesus for seeking and saving the lost. People like you and me. That's what we should think of when we think of you know, people who are we're, we're lost as people like you and me. If we're, if we're in God's family, we should be rejoicing today and praising that we have that kind of a God who seeks those who are lost. He goes after them like that man who lost his sheep. Think of that. Jesus is like that. He searches. He walks over the hills. And, and I remember the one quick story uh, when we used to have a piece of property out on the Haverstick Road, and we, we had a, a, a heifer that was missing. We had a, a big group of heifers, and I was pretty young at that time. But, uh, so we had to search. We looked in the ditches, and there was all grass in the ditches. So it wasn't, I mean, there were fences, so they shouldn't be in the ditch. But we searched and searched and searched till we found that heifer. And we're always hoping that, were, that you know, they would still be alive. We had to do a head count from time to time. And because there were, you know, like probably 70, 80 heifers, it was easy to miss one. But I think about, you know, think about that analogy of that's our, that's our God, our Savior. And so he is seeking uh, uh, us when we uh, wander or when we are lost. And then number two, a changed life uh, gives evidence of salvation. And so that's good for us to always, you know, take an honest look at ourselves with, with, with God's word that um, there should be evidence of our salvation. Number three, Jesus' purpose was to seek and save the lost. If we are his followers, it should be ours also. And this is when Pastor mentioned that I felt conviction, and I didn't say this in the beginning, but... The challenge with pastors afflicting the comfortable is we first afflict ourselves because we read the scripture and we feel convicted oftentimes. And I know that's, what, that's where I'm at. I feel I need to be more, uh, uh, more uh, focused, more passionate about seeking the lost. And so don't uh, think that pastors are excluded because pastor will tell you that when we're in the word, we feel convicted. And so I was convicted and in our church, we're going to have more in the future and even maybe a class to help us in this area where we can learn some things. And so that's coming in the future. Number four, uh, don't be judgmental, but visit and share a meal with sinners who need Jesus. Think about this. If people need Jesus, don't, don't, be, don't pull back. They're like the outcasts, okay? But, but be willing to share a meal with them. And, and in that way, you know, you love them and you, you, have a, a, you open up a channel for the gospel. And I think it's clear, you know, with Jesus, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Um, we can't save anybody personally, but we carry the gospel, right? Scripture is clear that we are like ambassadors. Uh, and we have been given this ministry of reconciliation it talks about in Corinthians so bring, share the gospel with people. And the last point is when a sinner repents, let us rejoice together and celebrate the lost sheep who was found. 
And this, uh, this is something that I think we could do more of as a church uh, or however we can do it is let's rejoice when someone comes to know the Lord. And don't be a skeptic. I think that's sometimes um, a danger as we say, like for me, when I quit drinking, for example, you'd say, ah, I don't know if he's going to stick it out. Maybe we better wait 30 years and see if he's standing up here, okay, before we can rejoice. But no, I think it's okay. When a sinner repents, we can rejoice pretty much right away. And then we will see, indeed, if he has a consistent walk over a period of time, if it is truly a man who is saved. And with that, I'd like to uh, close in prayer. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, how it uh, teaches us and how it uh, refines our walk. Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, comfort uh, the afflicted in our midst uh, and uh, be close to them, strengthen them, help them in this coming week. And Lord, if there's any of us uh, who have gotten comfortable and who need uh, the, the sword of your word, as it were, to uh, help us to refine our walk, I pray that we would first uh, go to the, the cross. And when we say that, we mean go to you, Lord Jesus. And we mean uh, to confess our sins and to strive to walk in a way uh, that is pleasing to you from here on out. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.